Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, good morning. Um, happy August 17th to you. And today we're going, I'm very excited to have a guest who will be talking about observation, vigilance, being aware of your surroundings. His name is Hakeem Islami. Welcome to the show, Hakeem. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for being on the show. And before we get started, I just want to uh, talk about uh, an investigative conference that any people need to be aware of. It's the Texas Association of Licensed Investigators Conference. It's their 2017 annual conference in San Antonio. It's going to be at the Wyndham on the Riverwalk, August 24th to the 26th. So if you're interested in that, be sure to go to the tally. Texas Association Licensed Investigator website. Uh, just Google the name and you can get all the details. There's still time to register. So, uh, Hakeem, I'm so interested in talking to you because um, I know that your your background is law enforcement. Can you tell us a little bit about that? How you got from where you started to where you are now? Yes. Uh, after 24 years in law enforcement, um I got my license as PI, but uh, I didn't start as a PI. Actually, I jumped into training uh, security guards. Uh, there was a local school that hired me to train their security guards and started at that. And at the same time of doing that, I did little PI work. It seems like more and more I was asked to do more of uh, training for uh, security, shots fired, uh, local companies here, so that's how I got involved in that, and that's that's what I've been doing. And it seems like uh, people are more aware now to mm-hmm. get their employees trained. Even though when I started, everybody kind of stepped away, especially when I went to the companies and uh, explained to them what kind of trainings I do. And one of them was um, shots fired, uh, which I'm sure you heard about the training. And uh, most of the people kind of shied away from that because they didn't like the name Shots Fired. And mm-hmm. they said that was a scare out employees, which actually what <laughs> really happens. I mean, it, it is what it is. You can't really uh, sugarcoat it. So that and was how, the main... Yeah. How long ago was that, Hakeem, that you t- tried to convince people to take that training when you first started? Fifteen years ago, uh, when I uh, started this uh, training that um, in security, uh, mm-hmm. I started for working for an international company as head of their security, and uh, that's when I brought all this training to them. And most of them kind of shied away from it. They they didn't like that. They they were more concerned about uh, training employees on safety uh, rather than being aware of uh, troubled employees, uh, shots fired. They were more concerned about theft, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. which which, which was, it's there in the company, so they are theft, but at the same time, the world is changing, so we have to be realistic to ourselves and to our employees. Said that the violence could happen anytime, anywhere. Uh, when we do a training, right. I don't concentrate only on workplace training. I concentrate the workplace training plus your life in the right. public places, in your home and places like that. So. Okay. Okay. We're going to get, we'll get into that. So, um, so I'm wondering if, because there's been so many incidents in the past 15 years, if, public perception on the people you're working with has changed? It did. Uh, it took a long time to do that. Uh, but it's unfortunate that something bad has to happen for people to wake up, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. in uh, big companies. And uh, that's an unfortunate part of it. But uh, after a few workplace violences, 
and shooting as they came around, and they agreed to have the training, which uh, we did quite a bit. We traveled around the country because our company had offices in just about every single state, so we had to go, and, and we did webinar also. So they did come around, but it took a little while and mm-hmm. hesitation. So, um, Hakeem, what... Uh, how did you serve in law enforcement? What department were you with? Were you I wasn't sheriff's department. You're, I'm sorry, what? I was in local sheriff's department. The sheriff's department, and and you're from Fresno, so was that um, Fresno County Sheriff's Department? Yes. Okay. And uh, when you left there, I mean, what what kind of positions did you serve in? Uh, did you go to the ranks, or how did that work? No, I was 24 years in the, in the reserve unit, and my last five years I was involved in the training part of it, making sure that all the training for the reserve unit was done up to standard and requirement of post, and uh, that's how I got more involved in the training. So when I got out of there, I had a little experience in training, but uh, I had to change that from law enforcement to public training, so it's a little change that. But uh, mm-hmm. when I got involved in the security guard training, uh, um, it was kind of same, but again, the uh, laws are a little different. Uh, I just converted that to security guard training. So I, I want to ask your opinion of this because there's a recent law that was passed in California that requires security guards now before they get their firearms permit to go through a psych evaluation. Yeah. Are you familiar with that law? Yeah, yeah. And tell me what, what you think I, about that. I think uh, from the experience that I've had with uh, different security companies, security guards, I think that's a great idea mm-hmm. because, to be honest, I have also the license to train on the firearms, in the state of California, and I have done training, and at the same time, I have refused to do training. Um, yeah, I see where you're a firearms like instructor. It. Yes. Yeah. And so, so you I, think, I had... Um, go ahead. So you think that's a good idea? Yes, I do think that's a good idea. Okay. From what okay. I have seen, from my point of view, I think it's a good idea. Okay. All right. So then... Um, so you did that for a while, and then you became the uh, director of security for North America Schneider Electric. Yeah, I was with them for 15 years, and uh, that's where we uh, kind of come across some people that didn't care for the language of the security training, which, uh, like I said, they came across and changed it. Okay, and so you developed, through that is where you developed your uh, programs for training on all kinds of uh, observation techniques and and uh, uh, response to active shooters and that kind of thing. Is that where, where that happened? Yes. The biggest uh, training that I did and I enjoy doing is reading body language. Okay, let's talk body, about that. But, Body language is something that will uh, you see a lot if you just observe and watch the workplace. Uh, you can tell if somebody doesn't belong there or somebody doesn't work there or somebody is lost by just reading their body language. And pay, uh, People don't pay attention to body language. This place, uh, like I mentioned in my article, to read body language will be in public places, in shopping malls or Airport is a great place mm-hmm. to read body language. And to learn from that and take that to your work is uh, uh, something that I emphasize a lot. Uh, like I said, you can read a lot. I don't know uh, if I mentioned in my article regarding a, a TSA agent in Seattle. I was there, and uh, you don't see too many TSA agents that go around and chat with people. Uh, they are just concentrating on wanting and wanting only. And this TSA agent is a uh, kind of older gentleman who went from person to person and talked to different people. And as I'm watching him, I 
kind of noticed that he's talking to people that have uh, less luggage or asking mm-hmm. them how much luggage they have. And it was interesting that he wanted to know if somebody had luggage or they were just traveling with a backpack. And that kind of caught my eye, the questions that he was asking. He was very friendly, extremely friendly. Talked about his dog, and talked about his children, and at the same time, he was getting answers to his questions mm-hmm. that he was throwing in there from people. And those are the things that interest me, and I, I think you can get a lot uh, by talking to them, watching people, seeing if they avoid your look, or if they want to know why you're looking at them, or any kind of body language that makes somebody uncomfortable interests me to find out what's going on. So your perspective is that man was um, evaluating people. He wasn't just being a nice guy and being friendly and being giving us customer service. He was evaluating possible risks. Exactly. And he was doing well, a great job at it. And, you know, um, my, I've experienced that, actually. I'm not with TSA in, in uh, the United States, but I've experienced that in other countries as I've traveled, that um, you are asked very specific questions and grilled in some cases uh, about your whereabouts, where you're going, where you're staying, why you're there, um, and checking your luggage and all of those kind of things that that we need to do a little bit better here, I think. Oh, I think so. I think there's lots of room for improvement here. Um, uh, I believe the way this gentleman was doing served much better like a customer service than it did like in law enforcement. And, uh, it, it, for sure, yeah, all, for sure. The people, right, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. The people that um, that don't have anything to hide will appreciate his good customer service. The people that are hiding something will be aware that somebody's looking yeah. at him. Yeah, they try to avoid him or they try to look the other way, not to make conversation with him. So, so uh, you're talking about the article you wrote, Hakeem, and this is an article of our very good sponsor, PI Magazine, um, owners Jimmy Messis and Ro, Rosemary Messis. Um, so I want to just acknowledge them because you wrote an article in that publication, which uh, we read and were interested in it. Um, you talk about how you train people in shopping centers. So tell us a little bit about that. Uh, one thing I train uh, my uh, associate is how to follow somebody without getting noticed. And it's uh, people... Uh, have watched lots of TV, police uh, movies, and they have learned a lot. So if you see somebody uh, once in a shopping center as a customer, if you see somebody twice in a shopping center as a coincidence, if you see them third time, there's something there that they might be following you. So that's why I, I tried to teach them. So uh, one scenario that I did was I uh, went to shopping center and then had my associate follow me. So I want you to follow me and don't lose me. So I went to uh, a juice place that they were selling juice and I started talking to the lady and uh, I asked the lady for an address at one of the stores and I asked if she could write it on a piece of paper for me because uh, I'm not from the area. And uh, I walked away with a piece of paper and it stopped by garbage can. I read the piece of paper, scrambled and threw it in the garbage. And my associate, of course, wanted to know what the piece of paper was. And he tried to dig the piece of paper. By doing that, he lost it. So those are mm. the kind of things that I try to teach my associate how to not lose me, even though you piece of paper might be very important, that you may be able to come back to it or if you can see it and grab it right away. And right. I don't like that. So. Okay. And what other things do you have them look for? I have them uh, look for who they meet or who they avoid meeting 
or if they notice that you are following them, if they were trying to meet somebody, maybe the eye contact that they had is not to meet, just walk away, and uh, any suspicious thing that they might do, mm-hmm. uh, and also write down exactly what they do, go shopping center, uh, for that to put a problem with some of the people who are uh, having uh, activities, if they go to jewelry store, or uh, do they buy jewelry, if they go to a clothing store, or anything like that, to follow and write down all the activities. Because so, you never know. Essentially, you're looking for if they're there for what they're spo- what they look like they're there for. You don't so, need to see the businessman. You don't need to see the businessman going to a mall in the middle of the day on time. So, Hakeem, um, since the Charlottesville, Virginia shooting is so, or uh, uh, shooting accident, not an accident, <laughs> terrorist act, let me call it what it is, uh, just happened and it's so much in the news. What would you, evaluating this in hindsight, which is, of course is always 2020, what would you have done differently? I, I don't have that much information regarding the police activity, but from what I heard, the police just stood by and uh, uh, let the mess, let the, uh, uh, I don't know, white supremacists or whoever they were, uh, do their uh, demonstrations since they had permits to do so. But I don't, from what I hear, that the police wasn't prepared for any kind of violence or, or violence that might come out of this. I, I'm, I don't really know the ins and outs of it from police right. perspective. So from, from what I heard in the news, I heard that they were really prepared. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we've all, we got, I guess we've all become aware of the see something, say something. And if you see a backpack or a a bag that nobody's, um, uh, doesn't belong to somebody, we're supposed to report it. But what do we do about these vehicles that, uh, that can just drive into a crowd? I don't, you know, that's a tough one. I can Hakeem, let me interrupt. We're we're having some real transmission problems. I'm going to take us to a break right now to see if we can fix this, and folks will be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PIs Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. 
listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to F-R-A-N-C-I-E at P.I.'s Declassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. I'm here talking with uh, Hakeem Aslami, and we're talking about he's a security expert. He trains people about being aware. And Hakeem, I was um, I was really interested in your uh, illustration about being in the dark and how you act when you're mm-hmm. in, in complete darkness. Could you talk about that a little bit? Uh, that was an example that uh, came on one of the trainings that I did. Uh, I asked. And uh, what would they do if they were in a dark room? What is the first thing you would do if you were in a dark room and you could not see anything completely dark? And uh, uh, one of the ladies said, I'll put my hand out and make sure I don't hit anything. I said, exactly. You do that because that comes to your mind. The first thing comes to your mind to do that because you want to protect yourself. You don't want to uh, run into anything that might hurt you. Right. So right. In training, that's what you have to do also. You have to do the training over and over and over to get to the point that it becomes like being in the dark and you know what to do exactly, like being in a movie theater. What would you do if there is a shooting in a movie theater? Unfortunately, that happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, you will lay down behind the seat. That's the only thing that you can do. And so those are the things that you have to do. And the only way you can do that is training, training, and training to the point that it becomes part of your daily routine. Right. And you, your analogy with putting your arms out in the dark is like using your eyes to observe what's around you. Exactly. And that, and that would be protective. So talk to us about um, your uh, observation, orient, decide, and act process. Well, uh, Right, it's, it's, like I mentioned in my article, it's not just like the way they did in Boston shooting. Whatever you do in an emergency situation, you have to see, look at what you see, and you orient yourself with an environment. And you, you do that before anything else. When you go to public, be aware of your surroundings. And if anything happens, You decide on what you want to do. And to do this all before anything happens. Mm -hmm. I go to the shopping center, I'm always aware. If something happens, where am I going to go? Which shop am I going to run into that might have a back door that I can get out? Or where am I going to hide? Am I going to hide in the bathroom? If I am, where are the bathrooms? Or is it a good idea to hide in the bathroom? Whatever you do, whatever decision you make, decide and act on it. Don't. Uh, hesitate to act on it. Decide that that's the thing you want to do and do it. And the uh, longer you take to make a decision, the more dangerous it may get. So orient yourself with your environment and think about the things that could happen and decide. Decide and act. And so the biggest problem people have is orienting themselves because they get involved too much uh, in their environment, or if they go shopping, they get too, involved too much in the shopping rather than paying attention, which doesn't take that much to kind of orient yourself with your environment. It doesn't take that much time just to get to know your area, your environment. So, the, so that concept is called the Boyd cycle. Yes. Can you t- can you talk about the background of where the Boyd cycle came from? Boy cycle came from uh, um, well, actually they call the boy cycle or OODA loop with uh, Colonel Boyd as a pilot instructor military uh, strategist and he's the one that came out with the uh, strategy because an airplane to shoot the other uh, enemy airplane, and those are the things that you can't take your time to do. So that's how you came up with and trained the pilots, and it was very successful to make up, uh, do the observation. And when you are in a 
pilots and you are up in the sky, all you see is sky and nothing else. So when the enemy pilots hear, it's something that you have to take care of right away and make a decision right away. And that's what he came up with the training. And like I said, was very successful. Like we still do that safely. Yeah, it's kind of hard to to hide when you're in a plane. <laughs> in exactly. The air. So, 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 so Colonel Boyd wrote a manual that uh, for air combat right. that included this ODA. You say it ODA or ODA loop? Yes. Okay, so that would stand for observe for O, orient O, decide D, and act A. ODA. Right. Okay, that's that's a really good concept. So, um, so obviously observe. We don't do that very well. As in the United States, we do not do that very well. <laughs> that's, that's that's the biggest problem that I see people don't observe. And if you, uh, I'm sure you have traveled around the world. Uh, I I lived in Europe for seven years. And I have seen people pay more attention to stuff like this uh, in public places. And I've talked about a lot, and uh, it was mentioned one of my trainees, because one of the attendees in training said, well, because they have been through a lot, they've seen it all. And my answer to that was, so maybe we should learn from that rather than saying they've been through a lot. We don't want to be through a lot. We want to avoid that, so we want to train ourselves. It was interesting that people think that because Europe been through all the wars and all that, they are better trained. That's not the way we should be thinking. Maybe they are better trained, but we should be thinking, how can we learn from them? Yeah, yeah you know, I, um, I spent, uh, I was in Israel in May, uh, learning about oh. security in Israel, and they absolutely have the standard for the world of uh, be, people being aware and people reacting to threats. And it, it's it's just uh, almost astonishing to come back to the United States and see how almost innocent we are here and trusting. Uh, interesting you say that... Uh Two years ago, I was traveling to Europe. I was in LAX, and uh, uh, Maryland that I was traveling was Lufthansa. And Lufthansa uh, ticket office in LAX was right next to El Al. Mm-hmm. And I, I really didn't know that. So I went and sat on the second floor, and I was looking over the banister for Lufthansa ticket office to open. I wanted to get there first and see if I can get a bulk seat. And... Uh, I sat there waiting for them to open. I keep looking over the banister just to make sure that I get there first. And I was there for about half hour. And all of a sudden, I'm feeling a bunch of machine guns kind of close to me. And I felt kind of uncomfortable uh, that they're around me for some reason. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a gentleman in suit and tie walk up to me and he said, uh, he asked me if I was a passenger. I said, yes. And he showed me his ID and said, ask for my... And I gave him my passport and ticket and uh, I asked him, uh, did I make somebody uncomfortable? He said, yes, you did. He said, you were looking over the Bannister, any mm-hmm. explanation why? Mm-hmm. I said I was waiting for Lufthansa uh, uh, ticket office to open so I can go and get a whole seat. He said, well, he made it uncomfortable because the allow office is right next to Lufthansa, so security was kind of uncomfortable. You keep looking over. And, and who at was, that time was... I was working, at that time I was working for sheriff department, so I showed him my badge and he felt comfortable after that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so was was he with the airport security or was yes. he with Al? Well, he's yes. there. Okay, interesting. Well, one of the things that I found fascinating in Israel is there's no. I expected uh, 
camouflage officers and assault rifles at the airport. And what actually you see no presence at all of law enforcement. And it's because they're all undercover. They're all in suits and, you know, regular casual clothes and, um, but very aware. And I thought, how smart is that? Well, it's, I think that's, for me, I think that's better. I do too. Uh, because that way it leaves everybody on, uh, on the aware that if you don't see any law enforcement, uniformed law enforcement, you automatically know that there are undercover officers. They are not going to leave an airport without any kind of security. So right. it makes you aware of that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it was uh, it was actually fascinating. I thought it was a great idea. I thought we, you know, maybe we should pay attention more to the experts because I think that out of any country, uh, security Israel is the expert. Oh, absolutely. I believe that hundred percent. I mean, look at have you ever heard of Elal having any problem? Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And even though, you know, they do have problems. I mean, there's terrorist activities all the time, but they seem to uh, manage them uh, pretty well. Better than we do anyway. <laughs> oh, yes. Absolutely. So, um, one of the things that you mentioned, the Boston Marathon bombing, one of the uh, obvious things that happened as we watched the video after the bombing was these guys with backpacks going the wrong direction or being very focused about where they were going rather than the general population who was interested in watching the marathon. And so that's the kind of thing you're talking about being aware of. Yes, because the terrorist or somebody who wants to do something bad, they already have planned what they're going to do and where they're going to do it. And they're focused on that. So my thing is reading body language is focusing on people like that. Somebody focused, wants to go somewhere specific and uh, with a specific mission, paying attention to that kind of body language. Mm-hmm. Those are the things I always look for. <laughs> In my uh, company... We uh, manufactured uh, security cameras, so I was spoiled with security cameras. We had uh, 66 acres of land with uh, over 400 cameras. So uh, in the orientation, we always let employees know that whatever you do, we're going to see, so be careful what you do. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing that I trained my security officers was, again, body language. Read the body language, because our campus was open. There was no fences. No walls, nothing. So it was open to the street. Anybody could walk in. And people did. Uh, we had different kind of people coming into the campus for different reasons. So body language is one of the things that we concentrated on uh, because, uh, like I mentioned, it's easy to read somebody that doesn't belong at the place. And what you're really... You know, what it really boils down to is you're not looking for anything specific. You're just looking for something that doesn't fit or is out of sync. Exactly, yeah. Somebody and, uh, looking the other direction, for example, or or acting like they're trying to hide something. Maybe not, maybe not even very obvious. And we, we, had, we had a situation, a domestic situation, that a couple were getting divorced. And the husband kept coming back, and he came back three times, and once he came back dressed as a lady. Mm. But since we had dealt with him before, uh, we could easily see who he was. And he came, uh, second time he came, he came and hid in the back of her car, and they were getting divorced, so we, we didn't want it to have any kind of violence, so we... Uh, involved our local police department in the situation and got him arrested. So people do weird things. And if you don't think uh, people do weird things, talk to people that work in the IRS offices. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> Haki, we need to take another break. Uh, we'll be right back. Um, we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Hakeem Aslami is my guest today, and we're talking about being aware of your surroundings, being vigilant, being training ourselves to know when there's going to be a problem. And uh, Hakeem, that story you just told us about the, the guy that came back three times and the last time dressed as a woman, he was pretty creative, actually. And did you, yes, did you, re- did you recognize him immediately? Yes, we recognized him, and how we recognized him because of his height. He was very short. And he didn't look really good in the ladies' dress. So, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and since, like I mentioned, we had seen him a couple of times before, and third time, uh, we had to call the local police department and report it, just in case if it gets any worse, what he's doing. Right, right. So... So w- when you go into a company, you, you mentioned to me off air about a vice president didn't like your answer. When you go into a company and talk to them about this stuff, what kind of reactions do you get? Well, uh, it, it was, uh, I do consulting now for companies, and one of the companies, they wanted the result of my uh, investigation regarding theft that they had in the company. And uh, uh, he asked me, so what did you find? Why are employees feel so much? I told them to. When the employees get hired here, I can guarantee you no employees signs that application thinking that they're going to come to your company and steal from you. They steal from you because of your weakness. He didn't like that. And mm-hmm. He wanted to know what the weakness was. I said, your weakness is your policy. If they're stealing from you and you know how they're stealing from you and from last time that they've done that, you haven't changed your policy. And I asked him if he knows or he has read the policy himself. He says he didn't. He hasn't. So I said, then you need to change your policy. People don't come here to steal from you. They come here because you give them the opportunity. Just mm-hmm. is opportunity that was given to somebody to steal. That's why you give them the opportunity and they do it. So you have to change that opportunity. They might. There might be another opportunity. You just have to learn from it and keep changing it to the point that you stop it. So he, mm-hmm. he didn't like that the weakness wasn't his 
company part rather than anything else. Yeah, it's it's very true, and it doesn't matter whether it's a disgruntled employee. It doesn't it doesn't matter. People just do steal when there's an opportunity. And we, when I was in management, we used to call that supervising by walking around, just yeah, being aware, like the, like yeah. the TSI guy you were talking about, talking to people, feeling them out, asking them questions, watching their body language, and just. You know, looking at things, it makes people cautious about taking actions like stealing. That was one of those things that I did when I was working for the company. I walked, my company had 27 employees. So we actually had manufacturing. So I used to walk through the manufacturing, talk to people, let them know who I was. It's not Mm -hmm. easy to let 2,500 people know who you are. Right. So... Through walking, talking to different people, I got to know a few people that I knew if there was something wrong, they would let me know. And that's the only way you're going to find out, through people. You're not going to catch people by looking into cameras and trying to find somebody's feeling. The more information will come out of another employee, seeing the employees, the employees and tell you. So that, that was more... Uh, what I got out of than anything else. And if it's not dealt with, then it is, it creates an atmosphere of theft and then other people start doing it because nobody cares. Yes, I, Stop it. it. I had an interesting uh, quote from an employee that came and reported me accept that it's all happening and, and I asked him uh, what would you do if you find out that you were the one told me? He said he didn't care. Mm-hmm. And his, his thing was that he was a stockholder in the company. He had a share in the company, so they I were see. stealing from him. That was yeah. interesting. So. That is, yeah, for sure. Okay, Hakeem, let's talk a little bit because, I, you know, shooting is so much on, the, on everybody's mind. And, and active shooters, whether they're within the company you work for or they're out on the street, they're a problem. So talk about how you identify an active shooter and what what to do about it. Well, first thing I uh, tell when I go into training is that if somebody wants to do something bad to you, they will do it. There is no way you can stop them. If not at work, in a public place. might even be your house. Uh, mm-hmm. How secure are you at your home? Uh, when somebody knocks on the door, do you open it rather than checking first who it is? So those are things that uh, could happen to anybody, any place. So the strongest advice I could give to anybody, be aware of your environment because you, could, you don't know what's going to happen, when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen. Think that it is going to happen and be prepared for it. That's the biggest thing that I tell people in my training, be it for corporate training or training uh, at home, anywhere. Take the training with you to your home, public place, your work. Be aware and if you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, be part of the solution. Be part of the team that's going to stop that. And people are hesitant. You don't go. Uh, the work down and he tells me that he's here. Tell anybody? Mm-hmm. Who should I tell? I said, we've got a local police department. I live in the city of Clovis. Uh, we have a great police department, and they encourage people over and over and over. It doesn't matter what you see. Call us. Let us know. Mm-hmm. And... And that's what I encourage people to do. Uh, and and people are, are afraid to do that because they think, well, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm violating uh, their privacy. What if I'm wrong? I'm causing a problem. If they, they want to find out that what they're going to call the police department and they might feel silly about the problem, it's the 911 callers. People will call 911 for most unreasonable things that you have ever heard of. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. So, 
So you, you, you are not going to be calling for anything unreasonable if you see something that bothers you. Go with your gut feeling. If it bothers you, call it. It doesn't hurt anybody by calling. It might help, actually. And you believe strongly, Hakeem, that these things don't come out of the blue sky. There is events and actions leading up to every active shooter that we that people need to pay attention to. Yes. Uh, one example I'll give you, I was in uh, uh, one of those shows that uh, they put in a park to sell items. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. People sell items, the craft shows. And, right. Uh, there was a gentleman in there that was going from booth to booth and just talking to himself. He was very agitated. Mm-hmm. And he was talking to himself, and he couldn't stand in one place. So, uh, what to do? And what to do? I just. I just Got some cell phone, call the police department, have somebody check in. Easy thing to do. What and try to decide what to do. Take an action, do it. Uh-huh. And uh, the guy was in a drug. He wasn't drugs. I don't know what kind of drug it was. But, but what if somebody had talked to him and told him, get out of here, and now we escalated the problem when we could have just called the police department and didn't take care of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I mean, that's an extreme example where you know there's something wrong with this guy. But a lot of times, these people that become active shooters are, they've made a decision on what they're going to do, and they're very calm and focused. Yes. Uh, like I mentioned, they know what they're going to do, they know where they're going to do it, they know who they're going to do it to. Mm-hmm. Because they have thought about it over and over and over as they built this anger. Uh, we had a, uh, our policy was that we terminate employees on Friday. Okay. And I asked them, why do we terminate employees on Friday? It's something that we've been doing for years. I said, can we change that to Wednesday? They said, why? Because I almost Friday. Sunday, can't look for job. Now he's frustrated. He gets mad, and the excitement of getting mad at us escalates. And come Monday, he still doesn't have a job, and he might be angry enough to come back and harm us. But let's do it on Wednesday. The guy has the opportunity to go look for a job Thursday, Friday. Maybe he talked to a couple of companies. Maybe uh, have a couple of interviews and put his mind of thinking into looking for a job on the days that he can actually go and look for a job rather than sitting at home fuming mm-hmm. or getting fired. So that's helped us change that. I mean, we haven't, thank God, didn't have any problem with uh, any terminated employees. Uh, we did. was very minor and it was explanation. But... Uh, so we changed it to Wednesdays. Uh, that's, that's, that's really interesting. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're right. Somebody gets fired on Friday. All they're going to do is obsess over the weekend on what happened to them and how wrong it was. And uh, by Monday morning, they they worked themselves up into a frenzy. Right. And, I guess you could say we built an active shooter. We make an active shooter in some ways. And I hate to say that, but since... Uh, well, you know, there been, there's been so many situations where, say, for instance, the student in Santa Barbara that did the mass shooting, the uh, people in S- San Bernardino, the husband and wife that did the mass shooting, the Orlando situation with the mass shooting, uh, of course, Boston... Uh, though people around those people had to know there was a problem. It seems yes. to me. Uh, one of the things that uh, I think about San Bernardo shooting was it seems like from what I read and uh, what I followed up on, uh, this guy's perception was because he was a foreigner, he was never accepted as part of the team. 
that is something that we have to look into very strongly because more and more with all these problems that we have with the uh, uh, white supremacists uh, being advertised on TV now, the uh, reason I say advertised, any mention of there in the national news that they enjoy, be it good or bad, mm-hmm. because they want to be there. So with, with that, a lot of people might think I'm the kind of person that's been better or in the workplace, I'm a foreigner, I'm from Middle East, I'm from So those are the things that we have to pay attention to. He might go to work and he might actually look and see if people are doing that. Right. So we have to pay attention to that. <laughs> We do, and you know, um, something that's that's been on the news lately um, was re- revisiting the Sandy Hook uh, Elementary School shooting, and I looked back at the la- at the number of shootings since 2012, which is where the Sandy Hook shooting was. The number of school shootings alone since Sandy Hook, there are 200. 33 school shootings in this country since the elementary school shooting in Sandy Hook. And we don't even, it happens so frequently, we don't even pay attention, I think. Yeah, it's, it's something that uh, gets forgotten real quick, unfortunately. Yeah. That, that's a bothersome. It gets forgotten. It's very bothersome. And, yeah, and we're just, I don't have answers, but I'm glad you have answers about training, Hakeem. I think the, I think your uh, Boyd um, process uh, for Colonel Boyd, the Boyd cycle of observe, orient, act, and decide is a perfect thing to remember. And we can carry that with us. So, yeah. Um, at any rate, we're we're uh, we've used up our whole hour, Hakeem. Can you believe it? <laughs> Thank you so much for joining the show and sharing your ideas with us. I appreciate that, uh, and I'm sure the listeners will get something out of it as well. So, folks, tune in again next week as we do talks by more real stories from real investigators and investigators like Hakeem Islami. It's PIs Declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 